Public verse, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a sun, there will be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That is just a mind-blowing concept, isn't it? No less days than the day that we started to keep praising God. It's just a, a wonderful thought, isn't it? Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19 this morning. Les is going to bring that to us. And uh, Dean's going to read the Bible for us that he just worked that out. <laughs> We're well organised, aren't we? Well oiled machine. Those <laughs> rosters work great. Thanks, Dean. No worries. You wanna, yeah, we'll have to have that really high for you. <laughs> Probably. Morning, everyone. So uh, we're reading from Psalm 19. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived from its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing my soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Good to be able to share. Who called me Leslie? Of course. Rude. Um, Yeah, it's great to be sharing with you this morning. I'll get used to clicking this in the right direction. Oh, I've gone too far. There we go. Um, You can keep your Bible open, but I've put it all into this PowerPoint as well, so it'll be up there for us to look at. That first bit might be really familiar to us. Often we go to that as Christians to say to someone, hey, you can tell that God's there just by what's out there to look at. So it might be really familiar, but we're looking at the whole psalm today um, because it's all there and it's, uh, the, the back half of it is really where we're going to be focusing. So, uh, yeah, let's pray that God would be with us and help us to understand it. Loving Father, we give you great thanks that uh, you've privileged us to know you, to sit under your grace and to sit under your word and that we can gather this morning uh, not only in safety but with truth in our hands and hearts that are prepared by your spirit to receive it and and grow things out of it. Lord, we pray that you might be doing that, Lord. Keep uh, doubt and sin away from us this morning. And Lord, make us fertile soil to receive your word that it might grow in us. In your name, amen. 
Now, um, I've got to move across from the New England, from Armidale this year to Evans Head, but we did that once before in our life back um, back in the 90s. My parents moved us out from Urala. But before that, we were familiar with the area. We used to go on holiday at Skinner's Head, up with Matt and Sue before they were there. Um, the, we, mum, mum and Dad's mum and dad, so my nan and pop had a on-site caravan park in, oh, I can't remember what the place is called, Headlands, yes, at, just near the soccer oval if you've ever been up there, there's a caravan park. Anyway, my nan told me that when I was little and she was there staying with us, one morning she took me out on a walk um, out onto the headland. Before breakfast, we were out there nice and early. And what she told me I did was, as I ran out onto the headland, I threw my arms out, got right up close to the edge, threw my arms out and yelled out, God made all this. I would have been about eight or nine and I can remember, I can remember going down there. I don't remember that particular moment, but who's ever been out on a headland before? You get the salty roar of the wind in your face. At that time of day, the sun was rising up over the sea. The waves were crashing into the rock. What else could it point to? A powerful creator. David's psalm begins with this sweeping statement of just that. The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, sometimes when the Bible uses that word heaven, it's not talking about our future place, but it's talking about the skies. The heavens declare the glory of God. Think for yourself. Think about the most beautiful sky you've ever seen. Think about the reds and yellows you get in a really clear sunset. Think about the clear blue sky without a cloud over the ocean where the horizon kind of blurs and you can't tell where the water stops and the heavens begin. Shut your eyes if it helps you. Try to think back to the most beautiful scene you've ever seen in God's creation. The psalm tells us the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The evidence of God's existence, this psalm tells us, is the beauty of his creation. David, who wrote this psalm, his claim is that to the ends of the earth, the creation, and specifically the skies, speak of a creator. God is talking to us through it, saying, I'm here, I made this, I'm bigger than this, I'm outside of this. In a sense, the creation is the first book that God has written to us. And everyone reads it daily. Well, if that's the case, why isn't everyone a believer? Why doesn't everyone know that God? It's because we don't really hear it. While it shows us that God exists, it doesn't actually get you to the point of knowing God. The psalmist, when, you, when he's written this, he's used this word. I'm not, I know nothing about Hebrew, but I, I, I worked this out. This is the word that he uses for God there. And it's the least specific name you can use for God. In fact, it's used just as much in the Old Testament to describe the gods of the other nation, like small g, God. So while the heavens declare the glory of God, while they speak of the glory of God, they don't get us to the point of actually knowing that God. We can know a bit about him, but we won't know him. And in fact, when we come to the book of Romans... We hear that while God clearly exists, as we can see that in creation, the human response is to actually kind of suppress that truth, to to not 
not entertain that thought in our heads. Listen to what it says. It's verse 20 where it talks about the creation, but I'll read a little bit before that to, to put it all into context. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Where has he made it plain? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made. So people are without excuse. Even though it's clear from the creation that God exists and is powerful, this does not put us in relationship with God. And if we do anything with it, we suppress that truth. The skies that speak of the glorious God aren't loud enough to overcome the voices of our own self-centeredness. And this is the big problem. Now, we've got a mixed group of people here, and I'm going to ask this question, and you might think it's a strange question to ask in church, but here's my question. Do you believe in God? I'd assume most of you do, but what do you know about that God? The psalm well, it tells us that he's powerful, so powerful, in fact, that he throws in this metaphor that he can pitch a tent that can house the sun. That's how powerful he is, that big ball of heat in the sky. God can control that. He's more powerful than even the sun that gives us our light, our energy, our warmth. What we really need to ask is, do we know that God? Not just do we believe in him, do we have a hunch about him, but do we know him? Do you realize that God has done more to reveal himself than merely show us himself in his creation? He's done more than that. And that's where David takes us in this psalm. In these next four verses, in verses 7 through to 9, three verses, the next three verses, he stops talking about what you see about God and creation and he draws his focus in on what God has said in his word. He talks about the law. He talks about the statutes. He talks about the precepts, the commands, the decrees. Set against this background of God's glorious creation is a more marvellous and revolutionary truth. And that's the truth that God has spoken to us. God has said more than just what the creation has said about him. He's revealed himself to us. And for David, that was in his law. Compare that idea back to verse 5 and 6 for a second. Is this going to go there for me? Look at verse 5 and 6. Talking about the sun and the sky, the psalm observes that it goes up and it comes down. It goes out and it sets. It's routine. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. That's exactly what the writer of that talks about. That in this world, if we just observe it without the truth of God's word spoken into what goes on in our lives, it's just this repeated cycle of routine. Think about your own life. What do you do? You wake up. Breakfast, get yourself ready, get the kids ready, get to where you need to be, bit work, school, bowls, coffee, whatever you're going to do, get home, housework, dinner, bed, repeat. It's such an obvious truth about our life that people have gone and thrown it on 
T-shirts that look like this. Who's seen a T-shirt like this? Maybe for you, your life is eat, sleep, game, which I think they're referring to video gaming, if you could call that games. But anyway, repeat. Dino, there's your new one, eat, sleep, farm, repeat. That would appeal to a number of us, eat, sleep, surf, repeat. Or if you want to look like that guy, you're going to have to eat, sleep, not eat too much, train and repeat. What we learn about the world around us, our life around us, when we just look at the creation is that it's routine. But look with me at what God's Word does. I'll flick back so that you can see that verse. Look at what you get when God's word speaks into your routine round and round life. He says that it refreshes your soul. It gives you wisdom. It brings joy to your heart. It gives light to your eyes. Knowing God because we've listened to his word fulfills every need that we have. It takes our life from being a routine, everyday grind to having the meaning that God put in there with it. It sets us on the path to proper living, to true life. And it does this because it reveals to us the goodness of the God that made us. It connects us to him. And what else does it say? We know that what God has said is perfect, that is trustworthy, that it is right and that it's pure. That's the words that David's used there. God shows himself and what we see of that God is that he is thoroughly good. We've been studying the minor prophets over the last four weeks at church and we see that time and time again. When the word is spoken, it reveals God's character and we see that God is just. He doesn't let sin go unpunished. We've seen from the minor prophets that God is full of mercy. He doesn't seek anyone's harm but wants people to turn back to him. And we've seen that God is faithful to his promises. How do we know this about God? In his mercy, he has shown himself to us beyond merely what we see in the creation. He talked to Abraham and he was faithful to what he promised to Abraham. He performed mighty works through Moses in Egypt. And he formed a nation out of weak slaves in doing that. He established prophets. He sent, he sent prophets to be his mouthpiece. And the ultimate thing that he did is that he became one of us. I'm going to look at one more verse from the New Testament. This is Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels and the name he inherited is superior to theirs. It's Jesus. 
That is where God has truly and fully revealed himself to us. He is the radiance of God's glory. Yeah, we get a glimpse of God's glory when we see that sunrise and sunset. But when we look at Jesus, it tells us in Hebrews that he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the Son of God, the exact representation of who God is. If you think about it, you can take everything that Psalm 19, 7 and 9 says about God, God's Word, what it says about God's Word, and you can say, yeah, that's true about Jesus. Think about it. The law of the Lord is perfect. Well, Jesus is perfect. Yes, he is. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. Yes, he is. Everything applies to him. Look through the Gospels. You will continually see Jesus as one that fulfills this truth, as one that lives this out. And what's he done? Well, Hebrews 1 tells us, he puts it this way, that he in all of that, has purified us from all our sin. He gets rid of it. He gets rid of that thing that although we see God's glory in creation, we suppress it. He gets rid of our tendency toward veering away from him and pulls us back to him. We suppress the truth. We ignore the voice of creation. But through forgiveness, Jesus reestablishes the relationship. I mentioned that verse 1 of Psalm 19 uses the weakest word for God. Well, when David gets to this bit, he starts to use the most intimate word in the Old Testament for God, the most revered word. When when it says the Lord in your Bible, it's using this word that I'm sure you've heard of before, Yahweh, God's unique name given to Israel. There's lots of of, um, definitions of what that means, but the most simple one that I came across and the one that makes most sense is when you call God Yahweh, you're basically saying, yeah, he is. He is that. He is who he says he is. And when Israelites use that name, when they could say that name, what they're really saying is, we know who that is. That is, we've seen his mighty hand. We've interacted with him. We are his. That is relationship with God. When we've heard him speak personally, when he's spoken into our lives, that word of forgiveness, the word of grace, we know that God. And so the question is, how do we relate to God? Well, there's actually some really gold stuff at the end of Psalm 19 that talks about how we go on relating to God. The first thing the Psalm says is that we need to value his word, need to value what he said to us. He says there that, It's better than gold, that it's sweeter than honey, in verse 10. We care about money. If you think about the election campaign that's just gone on, um, how much has each side appealed to us based on how they're going to use or spend our money? We care about money. But which would you go without? More precious than gold, more more than much pure gold, is God's word spoken to us. The second thing is to obey what God has said, to not treat it lightly, to hear God's warning of the foolishness of disobeying him and to trust that God has spoken truth to us, that this truth will be for our own good. Following God will result in reward, it tells us. Reward in the sense that life isn't going to fall apart in the same way as it does when we ignore God. 
So where does this valuing of God wor- God's word and listening to what he said leave David? Where does it leave him at the end of this psalm? He's in front of God, asking for his forgiveness and for his protection against sinning. It leads him to knowing Yahweh as his rock and his redeemer. Rock, the basis of his whole life. And the one who has lovingly taken his life, cleaned him of his sin and set him on that rock. What is the most beautiful picture in all creation? As awestruck as we might be at a sunset or at a rainforest or whatever fills in that blank for you, the most beautiful picture in creation is that God has made himself known to us. It's not what his creation points to about him. It's what Jesus reveals to us about him. See, living on this side of Jesus, we have a full picture of God, the rock and redeemer. We have the whole Bible. We see how God has done it. We have the word in our hands. We have the Savior's blood spilt for us. We have his spirit living inside of us. That's what we treasure. That's more pure than gold. That's sweeter than honey. I could spot the glory of God as an eight-year-old on Skinner's headland. But it wasn't until a few years later when I was 12, I was at a Christian camp out at East Ballina, when I heard that true, beautiful word spoken to me, the gospel proclaimed to me. I was 12 years old and I turned 13 a few months later and I, I don't know how much of a nag I was, but I insisted that mum get me a teenage, a youth Bible for my, um, my birthday. And over two and a half years, I read through it. It took me that long to get all the way through it. But that's what changed me. That's what shaped me when I was growing up. That's what guided me. That's how I came to truly know that creator, my creator. So here's the challenge. If you're still someone that only has a vague notion of who God is as some kind of cosmic creator... Well, I'd pray that you'd hear the words of this good news, that you can know that creator personally as you were made to. Open your heart and mind. Move beyond what is seen in the creation to what God has said clearly and plainly. God can be known more deeply. The barrier between us and him has been dealt with by Jesus. As he speaks to us, Jesus has put us on speaking terms back with him. And what he says to us is, know me, have a relationship with me, and trust me. Let's all pray that. Loving Father, we give you great thanks that we live in such a beautiful place where it's so plain to us that you're there, that you've made everything, and that you're good. And Lord... We thank you that beyond that, you've shown who you are. Lord, you show it in your word as we read and hear of your goodness, of the things that you value and the things that you care for that show your goodness to us. We thank you for Jesus, that he has purified us from sin, that he removes that barrier from us, that he forgives us for denying the truth that's plain in your creation. And thank you that you lead us on in relationship. Father, I pray that we might be humbled, humbled constantly, not only by what we see in your creation, but 
as we're people that live off your word. Lord, I pray that we would taste it and we'd know that it's sweeter than honey. Father, I pray that we would put it above our money and our riches of gold. Lord, I pray that you'd keep us from willful sins. And Father, I pray that we might know you as our rock and as our redeemer every day that we walk. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing our last song, so please stand with us.